Welcome to Figuring Out Families. This is our fifth episode in Series 2. In this episode, we talk to Josie Jones, a single mum who devotes much of her time to cleaning up Victoria's beaches. She's passionate about the environment and what we all need to do to help the marine life in our oceans. Thank you for joining us. Hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, I'm David Ahern. Welcome to Figuring Out Families. Our guest today devotes much of her time to cleaning up our beaches and looking after our marine life. She's also the 2020 Victorian Local Hero Award recipient for her outstanding environmental work. Welcome, Josie Jones. Thank you, David. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. Uh, I've read you collected single-handedly almost six tonnes of rubbish from beaches on the Mornington Peninsula over five years. Uh, that's a lot of rubbish. Where do you get the time to do all that? Uh, it's it's amazing, actually. That's quite a common question that people ask me. I think that it's just a matter that I use my time wisely. So every day I wake up before the sun rises and I'm on the beach and I pick up litter. So it's just really basically time management. Okay. What what? Uh, how much time do you spend each morning or does it vary depending on what other things you've got to do? Uh, yeah, it does vary. I've worked for myself for the past 23 years, so I'm fortunate that I can start my day doing something for the environment. Um, I basically just make the time each day, and it can be anywhere from an hour to three hours. depends on which beach I go to and what time of year, because we have different cycles in, in the litter that's coming being washed up on shore. So it's, right. a, it's actually a bit of a science, really. Okay. Um, do, do you think the, the rubbish situation is getting worse or is it uh, getting better at the moment? There's been research done by the Eco Centre in St Kilda and they're estimating the amount of plastic that's entering Port Phillip Bay by the waterways through stormwater, through rivers, and um, it seems that there's more. I mean, I see less litter coming to rye because yeah. now we have beach patrols that are pretty much scattered all the way around the coast. So Port Phillip Bay is a 264-kilometre coastline that we share. Obviously, I'm on the Mornington Peninsula side, um, and then you've got the Melbourne side. So basically, once litter enters into Port Phillip Bay, it's just going around in circles. So... Yeah. If you add a northerly wind and a high tide, we basically get Melbourne's litter. So when the bay's flat for days and that sort of thing, you're not really seeing a lot of litter come in. But once yeah. those northerly winds start, that's when you start to see the real real effect. Right. Uh, I imagine uh, when we have a storm too, that's probably not good, is it? We get a lot of rain, uh, washes stuff into the uh, ocean as well. Yeah, well, it's 80 to 95% of litter found on beaches comes via stormwater. So oftentimes people think it's the people that are going to the beach. And look, it is in that case. When I look at rye after each summer, um, we wait until that March, April, where we start to get like the storms, the westerlies, the, the northerlies, the high tides, the, the big full moons. And that's when we start to see that the beachgoers in Rye have actually spent a considerable amount of time burying litter in the sand 
on the beach whilst there, which is something that we're trying to always overcome through education and raising awareness to the marine environment. Sure. Um, so, yeah, it, this this um, beginning of autumn, I pulled out around 90 kilos of litter buried in the sand. Goodness gracious, that, that's a lot, isn't it? And, uh, I mean, the problem really, as you said, it's not at the beach or at the end product, if you like. A lot of the, the rubbish is being washed down from kilometres inland, obviously. Yeah, well, um, if you look at waste and the waste hierarchy, there's always gaps in that hierarchy, and that's why community plays such an important role in bridging those gaps. So it's all well and good to point fingers at shires and and the people who have the contracts, but really at the end of the day, it's it's really important for everybody to participate and to help out. Like one of the most common things that we find on the beach are a lot of building-related things like the tile separators for tiles, whippersnipper cord, the end of silicon, um, those sort of things. And, I mean, those things are coming from really builders, constructions, with the, the back yep. of people's work trays, things like that, and they end up on the road and yep. they end up in the stormwater and then eventually they make their way into the bay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's carelessness, isn't it? A lot of the time people may not be deliberately throwing things away, but if they don't think things can just fly off the back of a truck or whatever. No, well, the, uh, we often don't link the what we do on the land. I mean, if we look at cigarette butts, cigarette butts make up for over 50% of the litter count. So cigarette butts are actually plastic and 7.2 billion cigarettes are littered annually in Australia, 4.5 trillion in the world. And, I mean, wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if we could solve that in itself? We, we would, we would solve, solve half the problem if we could educate our community on spinning their butts. Yeah, yeah. I'm a lot, of, lot less people smoking these days, so you'd hope the problem's becoming less of an issue, but obviously there are still a lot of cigarette butts out there. Yeah, well, there's 25 million people in Australia and 12.8% of the population smoke, and 6 in 10 Australians use the ground as an ashtray. So that's 1,920,000 people that need re-educating. Yeah, yeah that's, that's still a fair number. Yeah. Uh, now, when you were 10, there was a terrible family tragedy. Um, can you tell us a bit about that, Josie, and how it's affected your life? Yes. So when I was 10, nearly 11, my mum committed suicide. And I think, you know, I say that in my Australian of the Year um, presentation because they asked us, why do we do what we do? Yeah. And I suppose when you have a tragedy like that, it's like, it's like walking through life and then all of a sudden it's like you're woken up to a different level of life. And I, the, tr the reason why I chose to share that as part of my Australian of the Year story was not only just the effects that it has of someone in your family taking their own life, but the perceptions of others. Sure. And I think that that was probably the biggest thing that changed me was the way that people responded to that right. crisis. Right. It's a very, being 10, it's a very, um, informative time of anyone's life. You're, you're still learning things or whatever. I can't imagine, um, how you would get something through that, get through an issue like that. Did, 
you have a, of a lot of support from family or other family members and friends at that time? Um, well, it was in 1983, so at the time, I mean, people weren't open to talking about those sorts of issues, mental health, um, anything related to that was always kind of seen as something that just wasn't talked about. So I suppose for many years I carried those perceptions and also the judgments of people because being female and having a parent who was female that took her own life, the judgment was, oh, I wonder if she'll end up the same way. So I mm. kind of grew up with quite a lot of pressure to be my own person, and that's where I talk about that in my Australian of the Year interview. Right. I mean, one thing that things have, we have got better at is talking about these sort of issues, mental health and other things. It certainly wasn't talked about when I was growing up, and, and you're right, the 80s uh, people didn't. It's really only in the last 10, 15 years, I think, that we've, uh, as a community, started to talk about these things and uh, wipe away the stigma, if you like. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, over time you learn that you're only as sick as your secrets and, you know, someone can hold a secret that they feel insecure and deep down inside they don't feel enough and they can, that, that it's no longer a secret when it's shared and sharing, sharing problems is a great way to free yourself, you know, both mentally, sure. physically, spiritually. Yep. Did your mum's death help drive you to become the person you are today, do you think? Yeah, I think so, because, I mean, it's a love lost, but I think that every time I thought about that, I did something and put love into the world in a different way, you know. Okay. And plus, too, like, I was thinking recently how I have an absolute love of photography. Um, I always have, and beauty, finding the beauty in things, and... And I would say that that's driven from the fact that having a being having an absent parent, the only way I could probably relate was through photographs. Sure. So that became an important I, that became an important part of my life. So yeah, it's um, every day I get up and take photos of the sun sunrise and. You know, I'm always photographing something, especially my litter, because I have to report that in. And okay. the contrasts of, you know, photographing beautiful sunrises or free diving and photographing seahorses and then <laughs> photographing litter. <laughs> yeah. They're, you know, they're all different. But, I mean, taking photos is just one of the miracles of life, really. Sure. Probably a silly question. How do you photograph a seahorse that's underwater or do you go underwater with your camera? Um, yeah, so I go, so I free dive. Um, I free dive probably for about six or seven years now. Um, and I have an underwater camera. Okay. And yeah, just find them. And so I'm diving without air. So that always makes it more challenging. And yeah. I'm sure the seahorses know. I'm sure they look at me and go, she's not going to be down here for very long. <laughs> <laughs> As I float back up to the top. Take a few shots, but yeah, it's lovely. It's lovely to encounter such miracle creatures and um, sure. yeah, and learn about them. They're amazing. Well, the average Joe Blow, me included, we don't see seahorses very often, so uh, you're, you're lucky in that respect. Is, is the ocean full of seahorses, by the way? Yeah, Port Phillip Bay has actually got 
three different types of seahorses. You've got the short-headed seahorse, the pot-bellied seahorse and the weedy sea dragon. So I'm sure across Brighton Way that uh, you've got seahorses too. Okay, I better uh, go for more swims. Perhaps I'll see a few more. Yeah, uh, you just they actually have really exceptional hearing, so um, you've got to be quiet when you go looking for seahorses. Okay. Well, thank you for that tip. I'll remember that next summer. Um, your mum's passing. One more question on this. Do you think that yes. helped your interest in the environment too? Did that sort of lead to your intense interest in, the, you know, making sure uh, we, we free our beaches of rubbish and so forth? Yes, I think so because I obviously, I think, I think the influence was that when we become too self-absorbed or too focused on ourselves, that that can lead to problems. And so I realised how important it was looking outside of myself and and caring for what is, not always hoping for better things or better days or better ways. <laughs> you know, you yep. go with what's in your hand. So, yeah, yeah, I'd definitely say that it's, it's okay. influence. Okay. Um, Josie, with all that's happened uh, in your life, especially uh, from the age of 10 and a bit bit older, the older years, has God played a part in your life at all? Have you had spiritual moments? or? Yeah, I actually have had quite a considerable amount of spiritual experiences. I was only reflecting the other day that um, after my mum had died, I'd gone and stayed at a friend's house and woke up this one morning and there was an angel above my bed. And I could feel the joy of this angel. And then many years later, I um, I kind of had gone through a friendship with a girl from my hometown and discovered that she was quite jealous of me and had said all these bad things about me and people didn't want to talk to me. And I was basically rejected. And I thought, gosh, there's got to be more to life than this, you know, what I can see with my five senses. And then that sent me on a journey to look for something greater than myself and I spent the next two and a half years searching through lots of different teachings, understandings. It's amazing when you go in search of something greater than yourself. Um, yes. How all of a sudden, you know, it was like God was just coughing up all this information. People were coming my way. Um, and okay. And so I had... I was working in the city actually at the time and I had learnt to listen to God and it wasn't something that I was telling a lot of people because obviously having a parent who'd committed suicide, probably people would think, well, you're a bit crazy. Um, but I had. I'd, I'd, I was listening and they say true prayer is listening. Sure. And this one day... Uh, God said, I want you to go to church. And I was like, mm, you've got more chance of getting an elephant in ballet slippers <laughs> than you've got of getting me to church. And then I thought that I was very, very clever and I said, you know what, how about if you can get somebody to ask me to go to church, then I'll go. So okay. that was on the Sunday and then on that following Thursday, it was school holidays, I was studying and working part-time, and there was a guy who was a heroin addict on the street in Burke Street who I used to talk to all the time, and 
he used to say to me, I like you, Josie, you don't judge. And I thought, well, I probably learnt that from listening to God. And I never really said anything to anybody about the journey. And then he used to tell me about this girlfriend that he had and I never knew if she was real because oftentimes people who have addiction like that can tell a lot of porcupines. Sure. And next you know this little tiny Vietnamese girl walks in and goes, hi. And I'm like, oh, my God, her, her part, his partner's Asian. <laughs> yeah, and I, yeah. you know, he's, like, got red hair, blue eyes, you know. She was – Yep. anyways, we just were talking and then she said to me, you know, it's amazing listening to your wisdom. What church do you go to? Well, I tell you what, I've really packed up my bags and left life in that moment and – yeah. One part of me was like, lie, lie, tell her you go down the road. And then I thought, no, I can't lie. You know? So I said, oh, I, don't, yeah. I don't go to church. And she said, would you like to come to church with me on Sunday? <laughs> Goodness gracious, wow. And so I went to church that Sunday. I bumped into a man on the street on the way. Then I felt really angry. Then I felt angry at myself because even though I'd been searching for Two and a half years, I still had this anger inside me. Anyways, yeah. we went inside. It was at Richmond AOG, Assembly of God. And um, okay. the um, minister at the time was saying, oh, there's a God sent a woman here today. And I'm thinking, that's not me. <laughs> and this little voice is going, that's you. And anyways, oh, the man who bumped into me walked up to me and he said to me, Josie, I can hear God calling your name. Why aren't you going? And that was it. Yep. I just started crying and I said, I'm too shy. So I went up the front and I gave my life to the Lord and and I had a spiritual awakening just like it talks in the Bible. I burnt like fire. I felt wings. Everything turned to gold. It was amazing. Mm. Okay. Yeah, that's a very inspirational story. Thank you for sharing that with us. That's okay. Uh, I think you mentioned earlier you're a graphic designer and you've been doing that for 23 years uh, and a single mum. How's that all going? Yeah, it, it's it's good. Uh, you know, I think um, it's interesting because my father passed away about eight years ago and I have a brother and he lives in Japan. So... It's basically my son and I, and we're great friends. We have a great relationship, and and um, it was important to me to ensure that my son had a promising future and deserved safe passage in this world. Sure. So, yeah, it's, it's good. He's a great guy. Uh, he's very loving and kind and generous and, and thoughtful. He's a lovely person, my son. That's great. Well, you can't ask for much more than that, really. That's what it's all about, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how is the? We're all uh, living in unusual times at the moment with the COVID nineteen crisis. How has uh, recent isolation been for you and your son? Um. Well, because I work for myself, my actually my office is a walk-in wardrobe because I <laughs> refuse to give myself a whole room, um, and I often hot hot desk, but. I actually haven't struggled or found any issues because I spend most of my time isolated anyway. So yeah. it actually probably has been a really great time of reflection for me and, and to see that I actually have all these skills and 
and um, strength because okay. I'm listening to everyone struggle and I'm thinking, wow, I never realised that that was one of my strengths was to be independent, self-motivated, able to self-monitor and continue to do things without someone pressing me to finish things or get on with things. Yeah, well, fair enough. Does your son share your passion for the environment? Does he take after mum? Uh, yeah, I think he does. I think when I initially started, like I'd been picking up litter pre those five years and weighing it, um, and then I said to my son, I'm not really getting far, I need to change what I'm doing. And he said, oh, maybe I'll come up with the one-ton challenge. And yeah. He goes, oh, mum, you know, no one care, <laughs> you know. And I said, oh, well, I care. That's, you know, this begins with me. Yes. So as time went on, he would come with me. And then after that, and when I received the Dame Phyllis Frost Award, he said to me, Mum, I need to apologise to you because not even I believed in you. So no. that's an interesting, you know, an honest an honest response, but an sure. interesting one in that I suppose I challenged people's beliefs and Yeah. And well, yeah, that's... and and yeah, he's passionate though, like he, he's funny. He's funny. <laughs> Yeah, he sounds like, he sounds like a good good young lad, and uh, who knows, he could uh, take after you in the next twenty thirty years and keep doing the beach thing every morning. Oh, uh, he wants to go on to study environmental science. He actually does scouting. He just completed his um, scout medallion, and he'll be going for his Queen Scout now that he's inventorous. So he actually wants to study environmental science and become a ranger. So yes, he's definitely influenced by by my choices. I think. Fantastic. Now, you're the 2020 Victorian Local Hero Award winner, as I announced in the intro. A tremendous honour. Uh, what does it mean to you, Jason? Oh, it's a, it is an amazing honour. It really is. It's, it's an incredible thing to think that you join an alumni of, of amazing people. Um, yeah, it's going to the Australian for Year Awards and and. And listening to everyone's stories, it was just so nice to see that we actually all shared quite a similar consciousness. Yeah. And that was about, you know, helping others and being open and and um, sharing a love for the environment. There was many of us that loved the environment. Um, and I think it was a nice opportunity to sort of look around and see that you were part of this this group of people who were achieving amazing things and everyone was so worthy you couldn't you know everyone was worthy yeah absolutely and i mean there's usually only well there has to be one winner but you're right it's uh, like the australia day awards generally and the the state winners and uh, they all do fantastic work uh, i'm just glad i'm not a, a judge on those things i'd have a great difficulty trying to pick someone over someone else to be honest yeah well when we went to Canberra we went for five days and we were actually with the judges and we all got buses to and from to the lodge we met the prime minister we we went and they made flags of all of us out out the front of the old parliament house and we went and had um lunch on the governor's lawn and I mean it was just it was just amazing like you sort of were pinching yourself I I was standing on the grass and my son came up and he said mum mum 
it's Pip and Sally Kin and then I started crying yeah. because I was like, oh, my goodness me, because, I mean, their father just did such amazing things and he saw the effects of plastic to the ocean long before we did because of his sailing around the world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, getting back to seahorses, uh, I'm going to have a real interest in seahorses now. I noticed Good. on your Facebook profile picture it is of a seahorse. Um, yeah. We've touched on it a little bit, but the, we don't always see, obviously, we're not in the ocean, so we don't see the devastating effect that rubbish can have on our marine life. You can yeah. see the, the rubbish on the beaches, um, but not actually in the ocean. And the amount of plastic in certain parts of the world that's just floating around, does that uh, concern you? I mean, it should concern everyone, really. Yeah, look, I think a lot of people can be quite doom and gloom in relation to how they perceive plastic to the ocean and I think it's really important to make people understand that they actually have the power to stop it in the first place by adopting their street say once a week or once every two weeks. There is a program called Love Our Street which is a fantastic program um, and everyone can do something to reduce their plastic. I know that a lot of people tag me in a lot of posts for plastic around the world um, and I did recently go to Bali. I hadn't been there for quite some time. And I filmed and photographed for a client. But in my second week, I went north and I filmed and continued to film and photograph. And I picked up litter. And the point of what I'm getting to is, is that through my observations, I could understand why the litter was ending up where it was ending up and oh. the things that needed to change. So... In this time of COVID, I've actually been working on a short film called Plastic Rice. Okay. Yeah, to try and raise awareness and look to see if we could change some legislation in Indonesia in relation to the way that people do their offerings. Because right. a lot of the offerings are causing plastic pollution. When you say the offerings, what do you mean exactly? So each day when the Balinese practice their offerings, so they do three offerings a day, so they have their basket and previously it was natural items that were being used, but now they're putting in their um, single-use plastic-wrapped lollies um, and, you know, rice crackers wrapped in plastic. So all of those things get put out on the street with the incense and eventually, you know, they'll sweep it up, put it into a pile, it ends up in the riverways, um, and it'll be coming onto the beach, but it also goes down um, into the rice fields. So you, you've got water that's being diverted for the rice fields, and with it comes the litter, and that's why when you go to Indonesia, you see the litter all along the side of the road. It's from the farmers pulling it from the water causeways to allow it to go into the fields. So... It's really quite concerning, um, and that's yeah. hence why I called it plastic rice. Okay, okay. Yeah, look, I, I hadn't heard about that, but uh, yeah, we, we, a lot of the countries uh, with these sorts of issues, of course, it gets back to education, doesn't it, and telling people the effect these sort of things are having on the environment. I think people are becoming more environmentally aware these days, but yeah. um, it is about education and about plugging along, I think. Yeah, it's it is. It's about it's about raising awareness and doing it kindly because no one likes to be told what to do, sure. and we do. We need to be we need to be gentle. I always say to people, "Do you hit a child for learning to walk?" No. So it's the same with someone littering. 
you know, I'm known for being very, very kind in relation to littering smokers. Yeah. Um, and we have a conversation and it's nice. Sometimes I walk away with a hug or, I mean, before <laughs> COVID, um, or people <laughs> say to me, you know, thank you so much for coming and talking to me and being so kind to me about it. Like, you know, exactly. you, you, you don't so take important. The, yeah, of course. And you don't take the big stick approach because uh, obviously that just wouldn't work with most people. Well, it doesn't work, and and really, basically, at the end of the day, um, if you can understand the problem, then the suffering begins to end, doesn't it? And so, in relation to cigarette smokers, the majority of cigarette smokers don't realise their cigarette butt's plastic, and if they were aware that what they were doing was affecting others, which might seem obvious to many of us, but it's not to the littering smoker, if they can understand that it's affecting something greater than themselves, then they'll be more willing to change that behaviour. So that's why I focus on the marine environment and say, hey guys, you know, like, did you know that this is the course of action for that cigarette, but if it doesn't get picked up and this is what you're influencing and people are like, oh my God, where's that? And it's like right there, <laughs> you know, so... Yeah. yeah, it's just raising awareness and, and being kind in the process. Sure. That's the uh, the cigarette campaign's the only butt campaign, isn't it? How long yeah. is that they going for? Um, so I started the only butt campaign in 2017 after I'd collected 31,000 cigarette butts. Wow. And, you know, again, like uh, people say to me, how come you don't get angry? I can't believe you keep going. But the fact is, is that, my belief is is that I can change people's perceptions through education and awareness and I'm being a little bit cheeky. So um, <laughs> their only but is this is the only type of but we want to see and God <laughs> God graciously gave us all a but each for free. Um, yeah. It isn't a beauty contest. You don't have to be naked. When we did the initial campaign, we were so lucky to have our mayor at the time, Brian Payne, um, join us. So we had about 50 or 60 community members stand in Port Phillip Bay all behind, from their behind, um, with the mayor. And, um, yeah, we ran the campaign in Rye and we were successful in reducing litter. So that yeah. six in ten Australians became two in ten. Okay. So we made a real difference and long term we've made a very big difference. Um, and yeah, we, our community is so grateful because we actually have the busiest supermarket in Australia in Rye. Um, and I was doing litter audits from the front, from Ozone Street to the front of Woolworths. So we went from the 3,000 littered cigarette butts a month to yes. around 20. Oh, wow. Wow. That, that is, uh, that's very successful. Yeah, so we yeah we did a few things like introduced infrastructure, some ashtrays, and we put in yeah. ground stencils to educate. Sure. And um, yeah, over a period of three years, took three years, but yeah, definitely we've made a difference. Okay. Just generally speaking, um, with the rubbish collection and so forth, do you get many inquiries from fam families who'd like to help? Um, well, no. Last year, I was on the House of Wellness. And I had so many people message me and they were, <laughs> I was so inspired. Um, they're like, oh, we've got a creek down the road from us and we're going to adopt it now, you know. Mm -hmm. And 
And look, a lot of the beach patrols too that started, people were like, oh my God, I saw your story and what can I do and can I join you? And and look, because I work for myself, I'm probably not as um, able to bring on groups of people and and I am an individual. So beach patrol do some incredible work and I've always suggested to people, look, you can start a beach patrol and... There's one great beach patrol in Safety Beach, Dramana, um, which was an area that I cleaned. I only cleaned there a few days ago. Um, and we have large amounts of litter coming up there. And they have a big team of people who help. Um, but, you know, it's people, groups like that that start, that make such a difference. And I think I was saying earlier, I can see less litter coming up in Rye because... Mm. Port Phillip Bay is going in a clockwise motion with the water and so as you can imagine it's going around and then with the wind and the tide it's bringing up the litter. So Safety Beach Dramana gets hit with massive amounts of litter coming from the city. Right. And then instead of it being washed back out to sea, those guys are actually picking it up or, you know, they use their Facebook page to say to people, if you're around, please come down to the beach. Um, Mm. And so together we're, we're, together we're solving one problem, but really ideally, the ideal is to stop the behaviour in the first place. If we can change the behaviour on the land, then we'll be winning. Okay. Well, that was going to be my next question, I guess, is what is the key message you would like people to take away from this podcast and what you do generally? What do people need to do? I think people need to understand that a lot of litter happens by accident. And that's why it's so important for us to help one another. I mean, it's all good to sort of say, oh, that's bad, that's horrible, that's this, that's that. But if you don't do anything about it, you know, so people can understand that litter happens by accident. I encourage everyone to clean out the floors of their cars because oftentimes that can be a big source of litter when people, you know, children open doors and things drop out. We're often finding red pens, textures things like that on on the beach Um, and just, you know, adopt your street. Look at the Love Our Street program. It is a fantastic program. There's only a small start at the moment but it is part of Beach Patrol and it is a fantastic program and a great way to make friends. Um, And, you know, you'd be amazed at the difference you can make if you just focused on your street and went down your street once every couple of weeks and picked up litter and Everyone can report that into the Australian Marine Debris Database um, with Tangaroa Blue. So that allows the the importance of that, and I know it's another step in the work and it's not necessary, but it is an important part, and that is, is that all of that information helps mitigate change. So, for example, if you're picking up litter and you say reported into Tangaroa Blue or you use the app Snap Send Sol, which a lot of councils have, um, you send that data into your local council or into the AMDI, it allows them to look and see, hey, you know, that street's actually really bad for litter and they can change the strategies on the cleansing and maybe send the truck more often or send some hand pickers or, you know, things like that. So it's all about gathering information and sharing information and, and yeah. people, um, the, the most beautiful part is when people start to help, their happiness level goes up and that's probably the biggest joy for me. 
Sure. And that's something families can do together. I think we all can uh, get overwhelmed at times uh, and think more globally. But uh, as you said, you can just start cleaning up your own street. Yeah, yeah. And it's all those little things because my motto is if you see it, pick it up. Which, as I say, it's sometimes hard to leave leave the beach when it's like that. Sure. Um, but, yeah, everybody can do something. It's just perception. So rather than feeling defeated like you can't do anything, you everyone can do something. Absolutely. No, that, that's a, a very good point. Do you have a, a website as such or anything where people wanted to uh, contact you or share ideas or whatever? Um, we have the Only But website, which is theonlybutt.com, and anyone can send me a message on there. There's media at theonlybutt.com. Um, people are welcome to reach out to me there. Um, okay. Yeah, I think that's that's a good one. And people can go and have a look at the campaign. The campaign can was um, the website was funded by Bendigo Bank, um, and there was a lot of support from the Lions Club and for the campaign to actually be rolled out. Um, and that's ongoing and anyone can adopt the campaign. And so making a successful little campaign, if anyone's thinking about doing that, making it local is probably one of the biggest strengths about making an anti-litter campaign. So when we did Rye, we photographed our pier and we said things like, this is the only type of butt we want to see on our pier. So we chased all the origins of litter. But there's a full kit for people to follow, so it's it's not hard. Fair enough. It's probably the one time you wouldn't mind being the butt of many jokes. <laughs> I had to put oh, that in. <laughs> wasn't it, David? You are not alone. You'd be amazed <laughs> at the butt jokes that I know now, and you'd be amazed at how many people are willing to show their butt for a good cause. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, it is a good cause, and that, that, look, that's terrific. Um, look, Josie, it's been terrific talking to you. That It's wonderful, I think, as we saw with the bushfires uh, early this year, the environment is so important not just for my generation, your generation, but for the younger ones. Uh, yes. So keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank you very much, David, and thank you very much for having me today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Josie. Okay. Thanks for being with us. If you have a family issue or want advice on how to make your family the best it can be, you can now find answers on the Magellan.media website, Go to www.magellan.media forward slash guides where you will see downloadable guides and links to organisations that can help. If this podcast has raised any issues for you, Lifeline is contactable on 13114. Please stay safe during the current COVID-19 crisis. This has been Figuring Out Families and I'm David Ahern.